0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting for financial security for our seniors. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby's Nimer. Four events that sunny September day 20 years ago that changed the world forever.
2: When the phone rang and it was our son Ralph at 846 and he told me that uh, something happened at the World Trade Center.
1: More from my interview with retired Toronto Sutton Place hotelier Hans Gerhardt, who lost one of his sons during the 9-11 terrorist attacks in New York City, coming up. And why is it that, as many nurses exhausted by COVID are leaving the field, nursing schools in this country are forced to turn away those interested in taking their place? The head of a federation representing some 200,000 unionized nurses and nursing students will offer her take as well as possible solutions. But first... Here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Yet another study on the benefits of red wine. This one finds that three glasses of red wine a week can help lower high blood pressure. It found a link between foods rich in flavonoids, including berries, apples, tea, as well as red wine, and lower blood pressure. While mounting research has shown flavonoids can improve heart health, the German and Irish study said this was the first time data has explained their link to lowering blood pressure. It can be found in the American Heart Association-Journal Hypertension. Over half a million Canadians have a diagnosis of dementia. According to the Alzheimer's Society of Canada, in just over 10 years, that number will surpass 900,000, an increase of 66%. While dementia cannot be cured, researchers are increasingly convinced that what we choose to eat might help protect our brains. Did you know there are seven foods that can help boost brain health? To find out what they are, as well as recipes... Go to EverythingZoomer.com, where you'll also find five healthy snacks that taste great. I'm Bob Kompczyk for Libby Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. There are some events, when recalled, that take us back to that day. The assassinations of the Kennedy brothers, John and Robert, Martin Luther King Jr. The 9-11 attacks are another such tragedy. Two of the four coordinated terrorist attacks targeted New York's World Trade Center 20 years ago. Sharing his recollection now, Hans Gerhardt, former general manager of Toronto Sutton Place, who lost one of his sons, Ralph, who worked there.
2: Looking back to the year, it started off very much on a negative note. You know, I had lost my job in March. Uh, I had a prostate cancer operation, and my wife had melanoma. And through all of this, both of our sons were living in the States, Uh, Ralph in New York at uh, Cantor at the World Trade Center, and our son, Stefan, was working with the Canadian Embassy in Washington. And these incidents brought the children over here to to visit uh, us during these periods of time. But I also had time to travel because I didn't have a job. And so I was in New York on three different occasions, you know, for 2001 before 9-11. Both of our sons had come uh, while I was in the hospital, etc. And uh, so when you look back, we never would have spent that much time together if these other events wouldn't have taken place. And then came this fateful day on 9-11, this beautiful sunny blue sky day, you know, when the phone rang and uh my wife and i were just having a cup of coffee and we kind of look you get it or i get it and eventually i got it and it was our son ralph at 8:46, and he told me that uh something happened at the world trade center he was on the 105th floor facing the statue of liberty and uh, he said something happened and uh they're evacuating and he will call me back as soon as he can and uh And he was very short and I kind of sensed some kind of urgency, uh, you know, in his voice. And uh, and I said, I wish you good luck and call us as you can and I love you. And he said, I love you too, Dad. And uh, that was the last conversation we had. I had been in the building on different occasions. I had uh, lunch and dinner upstairs in windows, you know, the rooftop restaurant. And uh, the building was one acre per floor you know, and it had between 250 to 300 people working per floor. So I, I kind of thought you know a little Cessna hit the building or so. But then I turned on the television, and there was this instant replay. I thought, but it was actually the second plane which came in. And um, then we both, my wife and I, both realized this was much more. You know, you know. Worse than we initially anticipated, but I had hoped that Ralph, who would have made it down the the, the stairs, you know, which was not possible because the plane hit the 90th floor and cut off all the inner stairways and and uh, emergency lighting and um, water and communications and so on, so that nobody above the 90th floor ever made it out. And uh, or Fitzgerald, where Ralph worked as a bond trader, you know, lost 658 people that day.
1: As you watched what was unfolding before you, you and your wife, on the TV, were the worst fears overcoming you at that point, or was there still hope in your heart?
2: I had hope. Uh, You know, uh, like I said, Ralph was pretty strong and, and fit. And I thought he would be one of the guys who would be running down the hundred odd flights. And uh, until later on, I understood that it was not possible because the whole center core was uh, was uh, destroyed and was actually burning from the fuel of the planes, you know, down the elevator shaft. So uh, my wife kind of re- more realized the situation. I was a bit more positive in the initial moment. And, uh, and then we saw the people hanging out of the window and, and jumping and so on. So we kind of uh, watched it till the, till the towers collapsed, you know. And at this time, we made plans to, to drive to New York and, um, and still in the hope that he would be found somewhere. Maybe he was hurt and he was in a hospital or so, but all the hospitals were empty because nobody was really injured. They were all dead.
1: What have you done on the anniversary all these years, 20 years?
2: On Ground Zero, they have the ceremony, you know, where where they ring the bell when the towers uh, were hit and when the towers collapsed, and the reading of the names of of the victims. And I used to do that myself in the beginning. And they did a very nice job, actually, on Ground Zero to commemorate the uh, the family victims in there, and it's very tranquil in the middle of a very busy city. So we, we normally have gone to, um, you know, not in the last two years because of COVID, but we have gone to uh, to New York to attend the memorial, and Cantor Fitzgerald, the company where I work for, they normally have in the museum on the bottom of the ground zero, they have a uh, memorial for the employees' families
1: how are you and your wife doing these days how have you been able to overcome such a painful undescribable loss how have you been
2: well bob it, it, first of all it's such a historic uh moment in all our lives you know if you're relating to this uh, personally or not everybody remembers uh, 9-11 in there and so there's a Almost daily reference to that, and particularly now with Afghanistan, you know there was every day there was a reference why they were fighting in Afghanistan and etc. The, the beautiful thing is we had a very loving, close relationship with our son. So therefore, when we look back, we, we just see his smiles and his followed his adventures, you know, from cliff diving to bungee jumping to diving scuba diving with the sharks, and uh, his skiing trips, and camping trips, and he was my fishing buddy. You know, I haven't actually fished since 9-11. So there's a lot of very fond memories we have, very vivid ones, and obviously you miss him on on these special days. Uh, Obviously, the, the deeper pains you have on these days, but we we're very fortunate to be close to, to both of our children, you know, and we uh, talk daily, you know, one way or the other, if it's was by Internet or by phone, you know, and we have actually two voicemails of uh, both of them ending, I love you, Mom, or I love you, Dad, you know, so this is a very, very positive and very powerful, and we play it once a while, you know, and, um, and, and yes, we can look back to, to having a son which we dearly miss,
1: not to be trivial, but is there a motto or something you say to yourself to, to keep you going and something you'd maybe care to, sh- to share to someone affected or not by this same tragedy?
2: Well, initially, seeing the events uh, unfolding live, and then, you know, the next day, uh, we drove to uh, New York City, and we stayed in his apartment for a month in the hope of finding him or finding something about him. And uh, daily, uh, you know, going over to uh, the uh, armories, which was a family center initially until Pier 94 opened up and trying to look for information. And uh, uh, all these questions then arrive, why, uh, you know, him? Why all these young people, the average age Age was 34 for the victims in there, and uh, how? If there's a God, how can a, a God allow this to happen? So you question a lot of things in your life, and uh, like you said initially, you know, you know, you if Ralph would be alive or could talk to us, he saying uh you know, you know, we had a good run while we were together, but now. Uh, this happened, and you you have to move on, and it's, and it's not easy because of, like I said, the daily reminders. You know, even if you walk by a picture of of him in the house, or you sit down on uh, on a chair which uh, we brought in from uh, from his apartment in New York, and uh, so it's it's um, it's a challenge, and everybody has different relationship with their children. And, uh, and the situations may be different, you know, where somebody dies of a natural death, you know, and or is uh, in a tragedy like this happened on
1: 9-11. From a father of two to a father of two, while the pain is still evident in your recollection, the strength comes shining through and uh, you should be commended. And I commend well. you.
2: Thank you very much, Bob. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I'm sitting here on a, (laughs) excuse me, I'm looking at a picture of him and there's a smile. So uh, it's definitely, um, you know, something which uh, we can look back with joy after having had a loving son and a loving relationship with our son.
1: Retired Toronto hotelier Hans Gerhardt lost son Ralph in the 9/11 attacks in New York City 20 years ago. I'm Bob Comstock and this is The Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, nursing schools are turning away applicants as demand soars.
0: You're listening to The Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, where you can meet like-minded people fighting for a new vision of aging. Find out more at carp.ca.
1: As many Canadians and their families know, COVID-19 has exhausted so many healthcare workers, including nurses, that many want out. And while the country faces an urgent shortage, nursing schools are having to turn away some of those wishing to make it a career – I spoke with Linda Silas, president of the Federation of Nurses Unions. That represents almost 200,000 unionized nurses and nursing students. What surprises you more that so many have applied to nursing schools across the country or that so many are being turned away?
3: Neither really surprised me, Bob. Uh, you know, the pandemic has put nursing and the healthcare care field in right in the front page of every newspaper, so there's almost this romanticizing of uh, being a nurse right now. And to be honest, the entry to nursing were always high. Also, uh, it takes high grades to be accepted into the nursing school. So you need all your science, your math, and uh, that's why the rejection uh, level is high. Now I say that I know that a lot of our schools of nursing across the country, and I, I would uh, venture for other healthcare professionals too, uh, need more funding for more seats because we are into a healthcare crisis.
1: Explain that funding for seats. Explain that to the layperson.
3: Each university or college uh, receives funding, and most of the time, it's all from the provincial uh, government. And they will determine uh, how many seats the university or college will get for the nursing program, for example. Will it be 20 seats, 40 seats for the first year, second, third, and fourth year? And if you're talking a uh, registered psychiatrist, nurses, for a two-year program. So uh, that is predetermined. And those numbers were predetermined way before the pandemic. Uh, and not realizing that 40 to 60% of nurses are telling us they're leaving the profession. So we need to rejig, and we need to recalculate on what uh, we need in nursing numbers, and we need to do that with data and with the science uh, that uh, the experts can give us. What worries us uh, as much as the entry level is when a new grad graduates today, so after four years of nursing, and I'll only talk about uh, the RN population right now, is they don't want to work full-time. They don't want to work 35, 37 hours a week because of the workload. They, They say, I can't do it to my body, I can't do it to myself, to my family. That's a big red flag. And it should be for any employer.
1: What needs to be done to ensure retention of newly trained nurses?
3: So we need to look at nurse-patient ratio based on signs, based on patients' needs and families' needs. We need to look at retention strategies. For example, uh, some kind of clinical ladder, which means if I'm a nurse working in a med surge a medical unit, and I want to go work in uh, critical care, there should be programs to help me get the education to go in critical care. Same as if I'm a practical nurse, a registered practical nurse, and I want to go become an RN. We should have clinical ladders, uh, bridging programs to help that happen. There are so few around the country that it makes it difficult and very discouraging for a workforce that just wants to give more and wants to advance.
1: Sounds like the future might entail more part-time to make up for fewer full-time nurses.
3: Not really. Uh, What the future needs to be is that normal workload. Uh, A young uh, person and an older person too can work 35 hours a week. We're not talking 100 hours a week here, but you need a normal workload. Uh, what's happening in our workplace is uh, not sustainable. Uh, Not sustainable for the safety of patient care and not sustainable for a workforce. So that's, we have to go at the root of the problem. The root of the problem is there's not enough nurses to take care of the sick and sicker patients on each unit.
1: Linda Silas, thank you for your time.
3: I thank you and stay safe.
1: Linda Silas, President of the Federation of Nurses Unions that represent almost 200,000 unionized nurses and nursing students. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Komsik for Libby's Nimer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back
0: next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.